You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Psalm 25. Psalm 25 of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been for me of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray, Christ Church. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for the uncountable blessings and mercies that you have given us in this past year. Lord, as I reflect on the trials and suffering that I've experienced during this past year, I know with certainty that I have suffered far less than what I deserve. But while I know this to be true, I find myself struggling to experience joy and confidence I have in Christ. My heart is heavy. It is heavy with my own failures. My heart is weary, weary from the weight of the responsibilities of this world. And while you have blessed me beyond measure in this world and in the heavenly places, I find myself drawn to dwelling on my own merits, my own works. Lord, please help me. Help me to abandon hope in myself, hope in the work of my hands. Help me to stop foolishly pursuing my own righteousness and shackling my self-worth to what others think of me. Help me to look to Christ. As I look inwardly at myself, I find that I am lacking and unable. But when I look outward to Christ, I find you overflowing and capable. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us, given me your word. We are, you have the words of eternal life. Your words take me from despair and self-pity, and they lead me to confidence and joy. Not in myself, no, not at all. But they reveal your goodness, your mercy, your kindness, your character. May we grow in your wisdom. Please, Holy Spirit, lead this evening in your name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Well, good evening, Christ Church. My name is Rabo. I am one of the pastors here uh, at Christ Church, and I am thankful for you all to be here tonight. Uh, one quick note, there was, if there was, I think, a email that was sent out. Lower elementary is not tonight. That's going to be on our next normal rhythm this, uh, I think, in two weeks from now, if I remember that correctly. But watch the daily email for that. So we're, kids, you're all in here together, and that'll be great. So uh, over this past Advent season, we've been preaching through a series of psalms, uh, starting with Psalm 20 and ending with Psalm 23 last week. Uh, we are in psalms for one more week uh, before we head back to Luke 13 next week. Tonight we'll be working through Psalm 25 together. Now some of you might be thinking, um, Rabo, you missed one. 24 is right after 23. Uh, however, don't worry, Nathan has already blessed us by preaching through Psalm 24 on Easter back in 2021. And if you'd like, you can look up that message. Uh, well, we are in the final hours of our journey through 2023. And as soon we'll be kicking off the new year of 2024. Generally speaking, I think there is a sense of optimism for this new year. The new year is the opportunity to do, some, do things better than last year or to finally achieve that goal or maybe just experience something new. And while having an optimistic view of this upcoming year is not a bad thing, we should balance that with wisdom. All the hardships and trials of the past year are likely to follow you into 2024. Relationships with family and friends, whether they be solid relationships or rocky relationships, um, they're not likely to change significantly with a calendar change. Our sinful natures, our bad habits, our vices, they all come with us into 2024. The wars and rumors of wars that have been ongoing in 2023 will still be here tomorrow in 2024, not to mention that 2024 is an election year and it looks to be contentious, to say the least. All of this is to say that you will likely not get very far down the road of 2024 before you face discouragement, before you face failure and loss, before you face suffering. So in the same vein as Nathan reminded everybody on Christmas that they're moving closer to uh, their death day, I'm forecasting a high chance of disappointment over the next 20, 12 months. Happy New Year, everyone. Um, but hang in there, brothers and sisters. It is in the Valley of Lament uh, of, uh, that we find Psalm 25 becomes life-giving refreshment to the weary traveler. But before we get to Psalm 25, let's first pause and be reminded of the wisdom of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Psalm 1, 1 verses 1 through 4. Psalm 1 presents us with two clear paths. There's a road of righteousness that leads us to blessing and fellowship with the Lord, and then there's a road of wickedness that leads us to shame and destruction. The result of each path appears to be straightforward. However, if we read Psalm 1 with blinders on to the rest of Scripture, um, uh, we might mistakenly conclude that all we have to do is choose the road of righteousness and everything else will work out. But there are days when I don't feel like a, stream, or a tree planted by streams of water, filled up and healthy. There are days when I don't feel prosperous in all I do. Actually, it seems like the wicked are prospering and living the blessed life. 
And yet, Psalm 1 is not wrong. Christians can confidently stand in the victory of Christ that our reward is God himself and not the treasures of this world. And for those days when I question, when I worry, when I fear, when I doubt, we can take heart in Psalm 25. As one commentator has said, Psalm 1 is a signpost that directs the wise to choose the right road. Psalm 25 is a companion for us to use along the way. So Christ's church, let's be encouraged by Psalm 25 together this evening. One note of context for Psalm 25. Psalm 25 was written by King David. We don't know exactly when David wrote uh, in his life when he wrote Psalm 25. David asks for protection from his enemies and for forgiveness of sin. However, there are no specifics given. Some commentators have speculated on different occasions that David could have written Psalm 25, but most agree that Psalm 25 could be written at any number of points in David's life. But no matter when David wrote this wonderful psalm, the church is blessed to have this encouraging prayer. So tonight, we're going to work through David's prayer in five declarative statements. One, I trust in the Lord. Two, the Lord will lead me. Three, I am a sinner. Four, my confidence is in the Lord. Five, my help is in the Lord. So, I trust in the Lord. While I think every Christian here would agree with this posture, let's take a moment to consider the weight of this declaration. In his great book, Trusting God, the late Jerry Bridges summarizes this challenge of trusting God. Trusting God is worked out in an arena that has no boundaries. We don't know the extent, we don't know the duration or the frequency of the painful and adverse circumstances in which we must frequently trust God. We are always coping with the unknown. Jerry Bridges goes on in the book to explain that trusting God is a lifelong spiritual discipline that is cultivated over years in the big and small everyday trials of our lives. And while this is helpful to know, trusting God is still hard. It may be harder to hear when we have a well-meaning brother or sister encourage us to trust in the Lord during a time of suffering. It's easy for you to say you're not the one suffering, but I urge all of us, myself included, to resist that voice. I trust in the Lord is the biblical response to trials, and it is how David begins his prayer here. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. David begins by taking his eyes off his circumstances and setting them on the Lord. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. What, what does that mean? What's that mean to lift up my soul? Well, the English word soul has been translated from the Hebrew word nephesh. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. In English, the soul commonly refers to like the immaterial or immortal part of our being. It's the part that goes on after our physical bodies die. And while the Bible has a category for this immortal part of the person, um, that is not what nephesh means. Nephesh, much more specifically, refers to like the whole person. A, a person does not have a nephesh, a, rather they are a nephesh. Nephesh refers to everything that I am as a human being. So when David says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, he is saying, I direct all my desire all of who I am to you, Lord. David has chosen to direct his desires toward the Lord and to trust him. Trusting in the Lord is a choice. David says, I lift up my soul. 
He's saying, uh, David is taking control of his desires and his emotions, and he's setting his trust wisely and submissively in the Lord. What does this look like? How do Christians put their trust in the Lord? This looks like when a married couple gets a devastating diagnosis of infertility or some terminal illness, and they respond with, I will trust the Lord. This looks like the parent who's so frustrated by a rebellious child and then responds with, I will trust the Lord. It looks like the worker whose job is not going well, possibly they might be laid off, and they say, I will trust the Lord. It looks like the young adult who wants so badly to be married, but all relationship doors keep closing, and they say, I will trust the Lord. It's the child whose parents who say no to something, maybe even unfairly, without reason, and then the child submits to his parents and says, I will trust the Lord. These Christians look past their circumstances in the midst of their trials that may, they may or may not have any control over, and they say, I will trust the Lord. All of these circumstances I just listed are hard, but it is not just the big calamities that test our trust in the Lord. I find that I am tempted more often to question God in the small and everyday trials. Some of these are not even really trials, they're more just inconveniences to my comfort and my preferences. When the budget is tight, God has provided for all my needs, but there is not much extra. My heart grumbles. When my plan for the day gets off track for some reason, my heart grumbles. When I am fixing one more thing in an unending list of projects at my house, my heart grumbles. When I feel like my family is just not noticing how hard I'm uh, working for them, my heart grumbles. When it has been a long weekend or after a long week, and now I have to go to church instead of just hanging out at home and resting, my heart grumbles. Now, there is, a, there is a right way to bring our frustrations and our hurts and our pain to the Lord. In this psalm, David laments to God, I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Yes, we should cast our cares and our burdens on the Lord, and he will sustain us. But lament should always bring us back to trusting in the Lord, reminding ourselves in the midst of our troubles that God is good and I can trust him. In the examples I just shared with you that I struggle with, when my heart grumbles, that's really all it is. It's just grumbling complaint. I'm questioning the goodness of God and why he would let this happen to me. I'm questioning the wisdom of God and why he would lead me this way. And it is in these small trials of my life that I grumble. But I do not want the seeds of discontentment to grow. I want to cut them off at the root. I want to take them captive and choose to trust the Lord as David does. Praise the Lord, he has grown me in the discipline of contentment over the years of walking with him, but my sinful nature is still with me, tempting me to complain. But flexing the muscle of contentment, practicing and training my heart to trust in the Lord in the small moments has helped prepare me for the bigger trials that I've experienced. In the Lord's strength, I have been able to drive to the hospital, praying for healing, praying for the Lord to save, for those, save those through the work of doctors, but also praying that no matter what, I will trust the Lord. Why do we trust the Lord? There, there are a lot of ways that we could answer that question, but David gives, David gives us one of those answers here. In verse 2, Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed. 
No one who waits on the Lord will be put to shame. David knows this from his walk with the Lord, that ultimately the Lord will save his people. Christians on this side of the cross perhaps know this truth fuller. We know that none of us who have put our hope in Christ will be put to shame. This does not mean that we will not, that we will, they will not face great suffering in this life, but in Christ, that suffering will be limited. And in confidence, we hope, uh, we, in confident hope, we know that Christ will one day make all things right. Considering the words of Revelations 21 verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning or crying, crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Many men and women throughout the Bible and throughout history have experienced far worse conditions than I have and probably most of you have, and they still have chosen to say, I will trust the Lord. Let's, along with our elder brother Jesus, God the Son, after we have prayed and pleaded with the Lord to change our circumstances, let our prayers of lament be then anchored in, nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. I trust in the Lord. And then after declaring his trust in the Lord, David then asks for guidance. Verses uh, 4 through 5, the Lord will lead me. Starting in verse 4, make me, known, uh, make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. As David asks the Lord to know your ways, he is asking to know the Lord himself, his character. David wants to think in ways that are aligned with how the Lord thinks. David wants to act in ways that are in aligned with how the Lord acts. He wants to speak with words and tones with how the Lord speaks. A way we might say this as New Testament Christians is that we want to be imitators of God as beloved children. As Paul says in Ephesians 1, we have such love and admiration for our good Father that we want to be just like him. We don't covet the Lord's power or his authority. We desire to be with him, to act like him, as a child imitates their parents. David then pleads with the Lord to teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Teach me. David wants the Lord to lead him. He wants the Lord to teach him. So the natural questions we should ask of ourselves is do we, do we want the Lord to lead us? Do we want the Lord to teach us? The, the answer to that question will have huge impacts on our choices. I want to eat every day. Therefore, I need to make a shopping list. I go to the grocery store. I make sure that there is food in my house to make the meals that I want to eat. If I don't do these things, it should be no surprise that when I open up empty cupboards at home that food will not miraculously appear. Likewise, if I say I want the Lord to teach me, I want the Lord to lead me, I should expect there to be effort and planning into that. It will take planning to read through the Bible in a year. It will take effort to pray and ask for the Lord's wisdom. It will require planning to ask good questions to trusted friends for what kind of books or podcasts I should be filling my mind with this year. It will require effort to not give up meeting together and, encur and encouraging one another. Brothers and sisters, let's consider the cost, consider the effort of what it takes to follow Christ, and then let's plan on doing that together. 
Why do we do this? Well, David answers that question for us too. For you are the God of my salvation. A heart of thankfulness fuels our pursuit of Christ. In my own walk, I confess that prayer and Bible study, fellowship with the body, evangelism, these, these all feel like burdens or just a box to check when my thankfulness is low. But when I re- re- rightly remember and see myself as a formerly treacherous sinner, saved by mercy of God, uh, life and joy fill my walk because I am following after the God who has saved me and is sanctifying me. David concludes this section for, for you I wait all the day long. Now, a casual reading of this might seem like David, after asking the Lord to teach him, is putting the ball in the Lord's court, saying, I want you to teach me, Lord. You, you know where to find me when you're ready. I'm right here. Um, but I don't think that that's what David is saying at all. For one reason, this would be an incredibly passive statement, uh, and it clashes with the very assertive statements that David is making and has made, will continue to make through the rest of the psalm. I think, rather, David is saying that he is standing fast. He's standing at the ready, waiting in hope. David is for the Lord all his life. David is not waiting, uh, or sorry, David is not waiting on the Lord to lead him for just a season or two, or just waiting while it is convenient. David is saying, for you, Lord, I will wait all the day long. I have no other plans more important than following you, Lords. That means that I don't plan on taking shortcuts. I don't plan on taking detours. I will follow you, Lord. I will stay on your path because, to borrow a verse from City of Light, no trial has come beyond your hand, no step I walk beyond your plan. The path is dark outside my view, Still, all my ways are known to you. The Lord will lead me. Which brings us to our next declaration. I am a sinner. No one stands before the Lord in confidence based on their own merits. I recall one time listening to a message on the radio. The speaker asked his audience to consider their own testimonies. How many of us have decided to put our trust in Jesus because we were convinced of how strong and how good we were? No, I I don't think anybody has. It is our weakness, it is my weakness, my sin, that makes me so aware of my need for Jesus. It is not our efforts that have made us good. It is Christ alone who has made us good. I suspect most Christians in this room know this as well, but I find that it is really easy to start trusting in myself again. It is good for us to be soberly aware of the sinful state, sinful state that God has saved us from. David is aware of his sinfulness. In verse 6 and 7, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. David says, remember, three times in these two verses. First, David asks the Lord to remember his, the Lord's character, not David's, the Lord's mercy and steadfast love. This mercy and steadfast love of the Lord is not fair weather or seasonal. It has been from of old. God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. God's character, his mercy, his love for his people does not change. Praise the Lord. 
David then contrasts remembering God's goodness with then asking God to not remember David's sin, specifically the sins of his youth. Youth here does not refer necessarily to like a child, like a six-year-old. Rather, these are the sins of young adulthood. They, uh, perhaps these are the sins that were committed in youthful arrogance or foolishness or passion that David, now looking back uh, on his life, carries deep regret over. One brief plea here. Children and young adults in this room, please listen to the wisdom of your parents and those who are farther down the road than you. We have experienced the wreckage aftermath of our sinful decisions. While absolutely it is true that God can bring good from bad and that he is merciful, sin has far-reaching consequences that can last a long time. And while I am appealing primarily to teenagers and 20-somethings in here, uh, this is just as true for the folks here in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond. Sin always costs more than we think it will. And that cost is the substitutionary death of Jesus, God the Son, in our place. Although David pleads with the Lord to not remember his sin, we know that our just God cannot merely overlook or excuse sin. The penalty of sin must be paid. Our merciful God with unwavering love has paid that penalty in full. For those of us in Christ, the Lord does not remember our sin, not because he has just chosen to forget it, but because our sin has been covered and we have peace with God through Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. David then asks for the Lord to remember him, to remember David, not according to David's sins and his failures, but to remember him in accordance with the Lord's loving kindness. Let's, let's not just zoom past this. We should not presume that God should or must remember us with mercy. R.C. Sproul, in his book, The Holiness of God, comments on our culture's view of God. Sproul says, Ours is an upbeat generation with an accent on self-improvement and a broad-minded view of sin. If we can stomach that the Lord is holy and just character, we can resist one thing. He cannot possess wrath. But then Sproul immediately rejects this perspective, saying, If we think soberly for five seconds, we must see our error. If God is holy at all, if God has an ounce of justice in his character, indeed, if God exists as God, how could he be possibly anything else but angry with us? We violate his holiness. We insult his justice. We make light of his grace. These things can hardly please God. End quote. God does not owe us his steadfast love. It is for the sake of his goodness, for the sake of Jesus, God the Son's atonement. God chooses to remember us in loving kindness and not in wrath as we rightfully deserve. Praise the Lord. It is good for us to remember that I am a sinner because then the Lord's goodness and his kindness is so much more valuable. But we should also not wallow in shame. But after considering how we cannot possibly trust in ourselves, with our next breath, we can then proclaim our confidence in the Lord, just as David does in verses 18 through 15, which brings us to our next declaration. My confidence is in the Lord. David praises and boasts in the Lord, verse 8 through 10. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. 
He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. The Lord is good and he teaches his people. After all we have considered, let us throw off whatever grip of pride we have left in our hearts and humbly follow the Lord. The sinner, me, you, all of us, the Lord teaches what is right. The Lord has not left us alone on the road. He has given us his word to know him, to teach us how to follow him, and God the Spirit to guide us. Verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Again, David appeals to the Lord to pardon his sins. Yet this appeal is not made in uncertainty, but in confidence. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt. Not for David's sake, not for Israel's sake, but for the purposes of the Lord. Our pardon is sure in Christ. Then in verses 12 through 15, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. David refers to fearing the Lord twice in this section. If you are new to the, to the Bible, this may seem like a weird pairing. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And while that would be a completely understandable response to a first reading, if we search out this truth a bit farther, I believe we will find understanding. So what does the Bible mean when we are told to fear the Lord? Well, it does mean that we should actually experience some measure of fear. God is holy and we are not. Just as Isaiah proclaims in the presence of the Lord, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. Likewise, who are we to stand before God? But for the Christian, this should not be a feeling of inescapable terror, like standing in the path of a tornado. Rather, this fear is tempered with reverence, with awe, with trust in the revealed nature of the Lord. God has revealed his character to us. He has shown us his mercy and steadfast love, and we can confidently trust him. To fear the Lord is similar to that of how a child loves, respects, and has a healthy measure of fear of their parents. I remember growing up that my mother and father set a standard for our home. They would set boundaries and expectations for my brother and I, and we were expected to abide by them. If we did not, there were just and measured consequences that would follow. But right on, alongside these moments, my parents loved for us, they cared, us, cared for us, they provided for all of our needs, they protected us, and we laughed together and we played together. To this day, even though I am almost a full-grown man, uh, I still have much love and respect and fear, uh, respectful fear for my parents. As we are tempted to sin, it is right for us to say, no, I will not do this because I fear the Lord. He has clearly revealed himself and his standards to us. God is not temperamental. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That steadfastness of God gives me confidence. The Lord will instruct me in his unchanging ways. My soul, my whole being shall abide in the good ways of the Lord. 
the Lord reveals more and more of himself to those who fear him. His friendship or secret counsel is to those who fear him. Which brings us to the conclusion of David's prayer and our last declaration. My help is in the Lord. As we travel along the path the Lord has chosen for us, we will still face heartache and pain, trials and suffering. As we face 2024, we would be wise to remind ourselves with the words of Jesus in John 16. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Not only has Jesus overcome the world, but he has sent us God the Spirit who will guide us in all truth. So as we travel through 2024 and face discouragement and frustrations, and we begin to question what God is doing, let's cry out along with David to the Lord in prayer. In verse 16 through 22, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, your people, your church, O oh God, out of all their troubles. Let's pray and declare that our help is found in the Lord. No matter the circumstances, let us take heart and continue to trust in the Lord. He is good. He is doing great things. He has done great things, even when we cannot see it. Christians can confidently walk in the victory of Christ. We cling to and stand firmly in the truth that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, and we find rest and peace and encouragement in Psalm 25 and in Matthew 28 that surely he is with us always to the end of the age. One final note before we close. Psalm 25 is for those who are of the family of God, who have chosen to trust in Christ. The Lord has given us this psalm to strengthen and encourage us along the road. But there is another passage that references two gates and with presumably two roads, like Psalm 1. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. If you have joined us tonight and you are not a Christian, we are so glad that you are here with us. We would love to meet you. We would love to hear your story. But perhaps the most loving thing that we can tell you is that if you are not in Christ, you are on the road to destruction. That apart from Christ, you are inescapably headed towards God's right and just wrath. Children sitting next to your parents, maybe quietly hoping for me to wrap this up, Jesus' words are for you too. Maybe at dinner tonight, ask your parents a question about the Bible or this sermon or what it means to be a Christian. And for everyone here who has yet to say, I will trust the Lord, there is still hope. Hear again from Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart. I will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. Maybe Psalm 25 is not for you yet, but it can be. Our God is merciful and full of steadfast love, and he, carries, uh, and he cares for the heavy laden. You can find rest in Christ tonight. And Christians, let's be encouraged as we start this new year, not confident in ourselves, but confident in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. I thank you, God, that you are a steadfast and loving God, that I can trust you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged in this year, that this year we would walk closer to you, along with you. We would grow closer together as a church. And Lord, that the name of Christ would be glorified in this body in 2024. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.